So, you mean the so data understand- system where it's understanding health patterns has come yes. from? Uh, okay, okay. Luckily, I got ChatGPT to talk to me as a 10-year-old, and here's what it said. <laughs> Imagine you're drawing pictures, but you only have a blue crayon. So mm. everything you draw ends up looking kind of blue. That's a bit like how some AI systems learn. They learn from lots of examples, like your drawing. But if all the examples are similar, like all blue, Mm -hmm. the AI starts thinking that everything should look that way. Let's say a group of scientists made an AI to help doctors by looking at people's health information. But if the scientists only used health information from men to teach AI, it's likely that they only used the blue crayon. So the AI might not understand women's health as well because it didn't learn from examples about women. Resistance is futile. Welcome to the podcast. Where we explore what's happening with AI, business, automation and culture and ask, where on earth is all this going? AI in healthcare. Jamie, this one is a game of two halves, okay? Because I don't think it's possible to be stupidly optimistic without being a little bit pessimistic about some of the things that are going on behind the scenes in healthcare. However, we're going to do our very best to do justice to the subject in the time we've got. Tell me though, first of all, what do you think is the place that it sits on in the Skynet versus Knight Rider scale? And maybe just give a quick summary of what that is for people who haven't listened to us before. Okay, so the scale is where we rate new technology, new AI technology and advances in AI about basically how good or bad they are. And we use a scale of absolutely terrible, dystopian and inescapable like Skynet or whether it's Kit from Knight Rider, totally loyal, you can understand what he says and you look pretty cool. It helps you look pretty cool in a scrape. And then we've got a whole scale in between. And I'm just trying to think about health AI I think it's I think it's up there with some of the good stuff, actually. I think it's yeah, up there think, with R2-D2, possibly, or data from Star Trek. I was going to say I'm, data from Star Trek. Boring. Uh, you wouldn't go out and have a drink at the pub with him, but he's going to be reliable, right? He's going to do what you need him to do. Yeah, if that's the hope. Yes. And at worst, what do you think this could be? It's not society altering like Skynet. It's not dystopian and inescapable. But what are the worst that it could be? Maybe it could be, because imagine that for this to really work, for AI and healthcare to really work, it needs lots of information. So we plug ourselves into the to the matrix effectively. So it knows okay. everything, our blood groups, our, See you know, our weaknesses, yeah. our strengths. So yeah. should a bad actor get involved in this kind of thing, it's not good. Not good at all. Okay. That, that's so- good. That frames exactly what I was hoping to talk about next, because when I researched this to the degree that I could find what were the big concerns or upsides, there were three. I mean, there's loads. There's a a list as long as your arm on both of these columns. But Mm -hmm. the top three that we can get our heads around the most, Mm -hmm. one of them was a little bit matrixy, and we're going to talk about that a bit more. But just let me go through the biggest upsides and the biggest concerns, and then we'll backtrack and go through them all in more detail. The biggest upsides, it seems, are one, faster earlier diagnosis and that could have huge potential implications towards the positive for cost for personal interaction health outcomes as well two is much more personalized treatment so as well as it being like getting an earlier diagnosis can be more personalized using your medical history for example yes Um, yes and and it can increase operational efficiency which sounds boring 
But when we talk about cost of the NHS here in the UK, a lot of it comes down to how well people are utilised, as well as funding, obviously, but how well are the resources utilised. And on the flip side, the biggest concerns, though, data privacy and security. We'll go into why that one might be a big concern. Mm -hmm. Bias and inequality. So where this data comes from, if it ends up in a black box, we really don't know where the source material is coming from exactly, that's not constantly made transparent, then there's problem, mm. big problems there. And yep. we'll go into why that is. Over-reliance and skill degradation. That's not one that you would intuitively think, but in the medium mm. to long term, what yes. happens when we, we load up these systems and this intelligence, if you like, with all the knowledge? Do yep. we end up losing a lot of that knowledge from people? And so have you seen there was something on Twitter or X now I called it, it was a news item and it was to do with doctor you know, obviously they're constantly trying to find doctors at the moment and they're struggling in the, in the UK and they're thinking about putting in people which are they're not quite doctors they're these kind of people that just have a specialist skill in a specialist area to to do the job of doctors and there's this big kind of furor at the moment so whilst not directly related to AI it's the de-skilling of, of the people that sort of are like doing a medical assistant what would they call that sort of title yeah i can't remember i, have I, we got, I, I would have been able to dig it out but uh, yeah it's, I, I guess this is the equivalent of security guards versus police how it's, would it's, we it's think kind of, about it yeah I, I think it was something like to train as a doctor you're looking at what is it seven or eight years i think all in and these positions it would be like four years training but they would specialize in a particular area and obviously there's a lot of concern from the kind of medical community but the government is saying this is a way that we can get people up to speed quicker and cheaper ultimately to do this work and it just ties in with what you were saying there about de-skilling is this where it's going is this if ai is going to be able to do some of these things that highly qualified doctors do okay do we need the very highly qualified doctors or do we need the bits that just the bits we need the humans for Let's dive into that one first then. Out of mm. all the concerns, let's cover those three. And all those concerns, let's start with that one, over-reliance and skill degradation. I asked ChatGPT to help me understand and frame this one. Okay. And I used a technique that I use when scripting for client work mm. and asked Ch- ChatGPT to do it. So I'm giving away a little bit of my secret sauce. But th- <laughs> this is how you get good prompts, right? If you want to understand an issue... Ask yep. ChatGPT or any AI system, whatever you're doing, to explain an issue as if you're a 10-year-old. Definitely. And it can often bring out things that are really useful. And if that doesn't work, ask it to explain the issue as a metaphor. Metaphors oh, okay. are brilliant. For human beings, yep. metaphors are great because it helps us contextualize what can be incredibly complex. So at least mm-hmm. we've, it's like when you go to learn a subject, start with, honestly, and I use this technique when I was... Um, a history tour guide years ago uh, I was told start with your history based on children's books and it was a really good way to crash course learning history start there and then you get the basic framework of of it and then build layers on top it's a really good skill for learning complex stuff from scratch um, because going straight to the complex stuff can overwhelm you but anyway 10 year old explanation may still be a little bit too high highbrow for me slow it down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Apparently, the average internet reading skill is 10 years old. Not, okay, no, okay. No joke. I asked ChatGPT to explain over-reliance and skill degradation to me as if I was a 10-year-old. And here's what it said. Okay. Imagine you're really good at solving puzzles, but then you get a super smart puzzle-solving robot. 
At first, mm. the robot helps you, and you can solve puzzles faster together. But if you start letting the robot do all the work, after a while, you might forget some of your puzzle-solving tricks because you're not practicing them anymore. The same thing can happen with doctors and AI in healthcare. AI can help doctors a lot by looking at x-rays or helping figure out what's making someone sick. But if doctors start relying on AI too much, stop using their own skills, they may not be as good at solving health puzzles on their own. It's a bit like if they stopped practicing their puzzle-solving tricks. Yeah, so... I love that. It's, <laughs> That's it's great. Crazy. So that is the main issue. And looking at it that way, what do you think those concerns are legitimate? And what do you see as evidence in the practical world? I think that is a concern. And I think it's not... We're talking about healthcare today, but I, I think this is a concern generally. Look at last week, Copilot, for example, for Microsoft was launched. So it's embedded into Office and it helps you do... It's basically... Like, it's like ChatGPT, but within uh, Microsoft Office. Yeah. And it, I can see how this is going to happen because every time now I go to reply to an email, it says, do you want me to draft that reply to that email? Now, at the, at the moment, it's just starting and it's just learning. But you can see a point where you're like, I don't even have to think about this anymore. I just click draft and it will do it and I'll just check through it. So when you bring that back down to healthcare, I suppose it's about asking the question of what are our healthcare providers doing and what do we expect from them? It, if you want to talk about the human aspect, when you go to someone, God forbid you have a problem that's relatively serious. When you go to your doctor, are you there just for them to fix that problem? Or is there a lot more going on there? You're there because you want someone to confide in. You've got someone to make you feel better about what's going on. Someone there to reassure you. Someone there to explain what this means in the context of other possible problems. That's very much the, the human element. And I think that whilst there may well There's be life experience there, isn't there? There's life experience that they've got and empathy where they yes. may, for instance, start to understand the context of what you're asking. And perhaps they might hold back telling you certain things or perhaps come earlier and say certain things they are concerned about depending on how they see you as a human being right yeah yeah no, no absolutely and in fact this reminds me of a uh, totally different context but it reminds me i was listening to do you ever listen to the leading podcast with um rory stewart and alistair campbell oh yes yeah i have uh, from time to time yeah yeah okay so they, they've got What's one it? and they so there's the I one which called is called the rest is politics. The rest is They politic? do, but they have another one called leading, which is where they interview oh, I didn't know that. leaders. Okay. Yeah, no, nor did I until yesterday. Right. And um, they interviewed Bill Gates. And one of the questions, which I thought was a really clever question, which was like Bill Gates, who, who was a bit of a maths genius, very smart, very technical, very geeky, right? And he built one of the biggest companies in the world. And they were saying, how does kind of your 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 very technical mind lend itself to management? because they were worried about the kind of the empathy and the people skills and things like that. And Bill Gates came back and said it was his biggest struggle when he was growing the company was that he didn't understand why all his other kind of geeky friends and employees that, that he'd taken on, why they were so bad at management. And he didn't understand why they didn't just read a book on how to manage someone and then they would know how to manage someone. And to bring that back into the context of what we're talking, that's a bit like saying to a robot or a, an AI, here's a load of stuff about how to be empathic how to, to your patients. But we know that there's a lot more to it than that. There is what makes us human. And I think maybe the skill set, maybe there will be a degradation in some skills and more than the more practical quantitative skills, but maybe the more qualitative skills are going to be sort, what sort out. That's it. I think in we've seen it in other fields. For example, it's happening in accountancy. In that world, mm -hmm. There's a lot more mm. 
financial advice going on yes. and triage of your business yep. rather than pure bookkeeping now because bookkeeping 100%. is it's not automated of course it's not completely automated mm -hmm. but there's no way that if you had a job title of bookkeeper there's mm -hmm. as many of you now as there was 15 20 years ago yeah so yeah so in that sense we could probably see how it would play out with doctors likely doing the very human thing more mm -hmm. if we do it yes. right yeah um, and actually we value them <laughs> even higher because getting to see a doctor should be i think a privilege right yes. where of course people argue that it's a right and i'm fine with that but in, in the sense that their level of knowledge is a privilege to get access to then it could come through the triage of ai diagnosis and then you're finally seeing a doctor with that accumulated knowledge as well so you might get the best of both worlds if we do it right yeah um, and and there was a there's a book i think it's called the future the, the end of work or the future of work is by it's either richard suskind or his son wrote a book about it's this his son yeah it's the sun, the yeah. world without and work. I'm world without, sure. That was it. Yeah. And he talks about this in terms of doctors. And what they talk about is that effectively the the AI bit of it is augmenting the human element of it. So effectively, when they've done these tests, I think it was DeepMind originally was doing these where it could scan mammograms or something like this. And it was getting pretty much as accurate as a human would do. And, and if there was this whole, oh my God, we're going to replace all the doctors and the surgeons with this AI now. But actually what it does is it, it gives reassurance to the doctor that their decision is the right decision. And maybe it brings up things that they wouldn't have seen because it's so uniform in the way that it checks these things. So I, th I think that there's, it's very easy on all these things, whether it's accountants, lawyers, or, or doctors, it's very easy to think it's going to go totally one way there'll be no humans left in in that field it'll just be robots and, and ai but I, I don't believe that's what will happen i think it will be augmenting what we do as humans what makes us human is augmenting that yeah that so it'll follow other trends that we've seen elsewhere so we've mm. got precedent for that as i was saying earlier so yeah. that's great okay so a concern and but again one of those things a bit like how i feel black mirror is a great cultural <laughs> warning sign of what yep. not to do it's almost yep. like don't do this shit that's yeah. what Black Mirror is great at. And I think yeah. with concerns about about skill degradation, we should also employ the same mechanism. It's like, mm -hmm. look, this is the thing we don't want to happen. Same thing. And we'll come. Th these other concerns fall into the same bracket, I think. So yeah. the next one is bias and inequality. And this may not seem like, if, especially if you're a white male, right? Yep. You might not think this is a big deal. But it is yep. a very big deal that the data sets that it's coming from have come from historically biased sets most of the time and untangling that now is not a small issue you so, mean the so data sets where it's understanding health patterns has come yes. from uh, okay okay luckily i got chat gpt to talk to me as a 10 year old and here's what it said <laughs> imagine you're drawing pictures but you only have a blue crayon so hmm. everything you draw ends up looking kind of blue that's a bit like how some AI systems learn. They learn from lots of examples, like your drawing. But if all the examples are similar, like all blue, mm -hmm. the AI starts thinking that everything should look that way. Let's say a group of scientists made an AI to help doctors by looking at people's health information. But if the scientists only used health information from men to teach AI, it's likely that they only used the blue crayon. So the AI might not understand women's health as well because it didn't learn from examples about women now mm. that is in fact a real world example because 
cardiovascular studies in the past focused primarily on men. So what other unrecognized biases are kicking around out there in the data sets that are like mm. that for the, the way that minor, certain minorities respond to certain foods, food groups, for yes. example, like where yes. I'm from in the South Pacific, Samoan men and women respond to foods differently to Pakihas like me, white Europeans. So therefore, you've got to understand that in these data sets. Yeah. And yes. so on. There's just tons of biases lurking about that we are not talking about enough in, yeah. in this conversation. No, it's interesting because it, when, when we were just briefing before we did the podcast and you mentioned this would be one of the topics and you then went on just now to say that we probably don't notice it. I'll be honest with you, when you first mentioned it, I was like, is this really a problem? And that, that shows my naivety. But when you start to think about it, absolutely. Yes, AI gets trained on data. If that data is skewed one way or the other just by the virtue of who's been using it then yeah it is going to it is going to skew those things i would hope that it would be clever enough to know the difference between men and women in terms of where the data set had come from but maybe not maybe when things are recorded it's just it's a heart measurement or it's uh you know i suppose it comes down to how that data is structured when it's being used for training and i think well, you're, you're assuming that is- the data is collected in the first place and that's that has been historically the problem it's not the yes. question of the ai not just no, no, using no. The, the male data it's not there for no what yeah no so i think that's yeah that's what the point i was getting to which is what we're saying is that the data at the point when this data was collected which is being used to train the ai if at the time it wasn't asking questions about kind of gender or, or specific regions where someone is from or or ethnicity and that type of thing it won't know. It will just bundle it all in together. Everyone will be a blue crayon picture and it will yeah. uh, do that. Yeah. So how, I wonder yeah. how we solve that because historically, if that's not been captured, we can't go back and capture it. No, I think it's one of those ones that has got to be constantly highlighted as a concern without mm. ending up in these rabbit holes of, oh, it's wokery gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's not. It's totally yeah. about these different men have, these are, this is biology. It's as simple mm. as that. It's biology yeah. and, and our different biological sets. There's lots of complexities in the data that just need to be looked at. And I think as long as it's talked about transparently like that, as if, as if th- we assume that there is problems with the data and, mm. and then proper eggheads, not me, will be able to <laughs> authoritatively say whether or not the data sets are, are clean enough or good enough or big enough. But, but so does I that then the lead us into some of the dangers which is for example certain religions my i'm I'm jewish and there's certain something called tay-sachs which is a particular kind of stomach thing which is more prevalent in in ashkenazi jews could that lead to a problem where when they're starting to gather data and and gather data and it asks you about your ethnicity or religion and so on and so forth that people will start to worry about giving that information away because if we look down the kind of uh, skynet route where the great big brain knows where all the Muslims live or, or where they are in the country or the Jews are or the Christians are or whatever it is, white or black or male or female, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Then if the bad actors get involved, it exposes people. Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly why the other concern that I'm going to talk about, I think, is the biggest one. And this is the Matrix, the Skynet, perhaps mm. one that we should worry about, not because of this particular instance I'm going to talk about, but because it's a, a signal of the sorts of things we should be concerned about and uh, don't, don't want more of it or don't want it escalating. So mm. I, most people are probably in on this conversation have probably heard of Palantir. But if you haven't, they're a big 
venture capital company that is invested in largely in military Pallant, in the states. So I don't think that they're a, I don't think they're a VC. They are actually a technology company oh, run by what looks like a total psychopath. Have you ever seen them interviewed? The main guy, not Peter. No, Palantir has got this guy. Palantir, Peter Thiel, I'm on the fence about. Uh, admittedly, find him in, both intimidating and remarkable, but also I find him really worrying as well. Uh, Alex, but, oh, yeah. so Peter Thiel, I didn't realise he was part of it. No, Alex Carr. Yeah. Uh, right, if you okay. come across Alex Carr. If no. ever you were to, if I was to say, Dave, imagine a megalomaniac, crazy AI lunatic. This is right. the picture that would come up. That's what he looks like. Um, you shouldn't judge so a book by his cover. Pixar was making but... a movie about an evil <laughs> AI genius. They'd, they'd make a version of him. Yeah, okay. 100%. And then I'm when looking you see forward him to that Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah, when you see him interviewed, he's, he, is, he does look a little unhinged. And, and go well, on, sorry, I'm interrupting you. But go, but go on, no, carry but on about this is exactly <laughs> Okay, now that you've set that scene, here's, here's what I was asking about. Okay. I, I asked ChatGPT to explain, like I'm a 10-year-old, what the concerns would be for a Palantir involving themselves in the NHS. And here's what it said. Imagine the NHS has a big box of Lego, with each piece being information about people's health. The NHS asked Palantir, a super smart friend, good at sorting Lego, (laughs) to help organise this box so that they can take care of people better. But some people were worried because, one, privacy. What if Palantir sees private health secrets while sorting the Lego? People don't want their health secrets shared. Two, who's in charge? What if Palantir starts deciding how the NHS should use the Lego? Three, costly consequences. What if the way Palantir sorts Lego makes some people's health insurance more expensive? If a Lego piece says someone gets sick often, their insurance costs might go up. And four, Mm. sneaky sharing. What if Mm. Palantir shares the Legos with somebody else who shouldn't see them, like companies that might use the information for their own benefit or even media outlets that could tell everyone about someone's health? Mm. So there. Where do we start? What's we worried (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, the first yeah. thing that I thought when you were saying that, so a few things. So Alex Cart, the CEO of Palantir, he was right. on uh, a few months ago, he was on uh, BBC News. And, and he basically, he was being questioned about why he was offering to do all of the NHS work for nothing. He was going to do it for free. He was going to manage all their data for free. And some people thought maybe mm. he had an ulterior motive to get the contract yeah. to get in there. Who'd have thought that? That so was that- a private company that must make a profit. They were... Of course, why not do something for nothing for the the generosity of you? And then where you, when you start to understand what they do as a company, so their specialism, so so let's frame this. So their specialism is taking data sets from very disparate systems and enabling you to marry those things together to make decisions about what to do. So let's go back to the 10-year-old story you were just talking about. The potential problem might be that data in your health NHS data might be shared or used or aligned with insurance company data or military data, this kind of thing. That's their speciality is this joining of data. I'm sure they wouldn't do it. I'm sure they wouldn't. I think that is the point at which people should be rightly concerned and not just this instance either as a general Mm -hmm. concern. Why is public health data, in the case of the UK, I think if you're a US listener, this is probably a bit harder to to mm. see a problem because of course data has been in private hands so much more you know really in the states right so 
yeah. I don't think it's easy to see the problem. But over here, and probably in Europe as well, I think to a large extent, it it freaks people out because mm-hmm. the aim of the public systems is just about it's just about your health outcomes. There is no requirement to make a profit out of your mm-hmm. health, and it's yeah. I think that makes it harder to understand over here why there's a must be a benefit, a profit made out of your health data, and therefore how can that be made? We should be asking those questions and I think quite rightly getting answers for them. So I'm of the, in the, where data is used in AI in going going forward, I'd be wanting to know how can I see on my NHS app where my mm-hmm. data is getting used, by yes. whom and for what purpose, and can I shut down certain things, certain avenues. Lock it, yeah, lock, lock access to it. Yeah, there, there's no reason why we shouldn't have a choice in these things. And the data is far too, especially health data, is far too revealing to be used by private companies just as a Wild West free-for-all. But, okay, so I don't have an Apple Watch or one of those types. Do you have an Apple Watch, Dave? No. no. Okay, right. I'm, I'm the, on the, the min- Garmin bandwagon. Oh, okay, okay. So but yeah, of, I do have a smartwatch, so a lot of data collected. That's right. And this, so it's interesting, isn't it? How I, I haven't got one. Millions of people do have them. And that's collecting all kinds of data. So it's great. It's lovely. You can look on your phone and see how your heart rate and you know, if you sweat at night and all this kind of stuff. But effectively, we're talking about the same thing here. That data is being used by a private company. It's being held by a private company, being used by a private company to, to give you insights. Who's then to say that's not going to be shared in places it shouldn't be shared? That's it. That is true. And but you don't have to put on a watch, but you have to go and see a doctor from time to time. You, there are a lot of there are a lot of data points there that unless you live as a hermit and never get sick, they're yeah. going to find out about. So whereas I can sign up to using a Garmin watch, and to the de- I don't do this by the way, but to mm. the degree that I could read through the terms and conditions and decide not to wear the watch and make do that I could do that. So I think that's the concern. But at the same time, I, I think it's a Maybe it's part of the answer here is a brand issue, right? Because mm-hmm. I do trust Garmin. Apple or Garmin, the, yeah. I do trust them. That doesn't mean I should, but yeah. I do trust them, right? Maybe I'm naive. <laughs> but they've made statements to, uh, about privacy that they're concerned mm-hmm. about it. Whereas Palantir, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. These guys <laughs> are in the tree, they're knees deep in military hardware. There's no way to, that doesn't scream ethical concerns as far as I'm concerned. I, when all this AI was really kicking off, I, I'm not, I am not an investor. I'm not, it's not something I get involved with, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to jump a bit on this bandwagon. I'll buy, and I thought, oh, this Palantir looks quite interesting. They're, they're one of the picks. So I put a few quid into it. And then I started reading about them and finding out about their military work and what they do. And I was, I literally pulled the money out straight away. I was like, do you know, I don't feel very comfortable about this. Doesn't, no, exactly. This well, it's doesn't in that sit category, very well. Yeah. yeah, and so if yeah. you have no, if you have no concerns about this, I don't, I don't think you'd probably be listening up to this point. But if you had no mm. concerns about this, then of course you might think that it's all's fair in love and war. But mm. I think we would be naive to just let our data be used in that way for healthcare. It's too you can't escape using you know, having your data collected somewhere uh, yep. for healthcare, and so therefore, and it's part of your it's part of your national ID anyway. Because it's connected to a national health number. It's not like you yep. can, and you're paying for it. So you, you can't just escape it. I was thinking, um, actually, so we should just, have a save where it goes. Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing on the iPhone that you can, it does give you the option now. 
I, I imagine this is more to do with America, but you can link your health kind of data that's on your iPhone that it picks up through your, your steps and all that kind of thing. But you can link it to your medical data as well. So I think they're now having APIs that allow it to talk to the to the whoever is your healthcare provider. So you can get all your medical records and everything all linked on the iPhone health app. Yeah, so yeah that's, that's where it's going. And I think the question yeah. isn't whether to stop it. I don't think mm. that's realistic. And, and also, as we're, we're going to now go into the upsides, by the way, and this is not all doom and gloom. Yeah, the, yeah. the thing is, how do we manage it so that we've still got choices as we go? So that if it turns yes. out, for example, that Palantir are doing things with our data that we don't want, that it's mm -hmm. possible to, to address that and go, look, yes. do you know what? That's, we're not having that happen anymore. And we, yeah. we don't necessarily need that money. Now, uh, there's a longer conversation, of course, why on earth does the NHS need the funds for that it's a government yeah. funded service and and there aren't good arguments for saying we must use private infiltration to fund it that's just i don't think it's so much for funding it i don't think it's much for funding it i think the reason that they want it is, is to do with expertise another example right, okay. of that would be something like oh, post office pick up. Maybe using it is, yeah. fujitsu siemens and that worked out well <laughs> So. Yeah. Look, I think it can be used, though, as, a, as an argument for privatizing. And, but it, it's off topic, really, for what we wanted to talk about. It's sure. just one of those things that comes up. It's connected to that side of it. I, but I think yep. there's a, obviously a big rabbit hole about funding and how the NHS mm -hmm. gets funded. So I think let's have a look at the upsides because there are some. And, and you've got a front row seat on these, Jamie, as it, as it seems. Mm. So faster, earlier diagnosis. Diagnosis. AI can analyze medical data and images with high precision, potentially identifying diseases like cancer much earlier than currently possible. Yeah, Is that a thing, a real thing, or is that just some of the hype? What, what have you seen or heard of? There, there's a, an example from Kieron Medical who are using AI to improve the accuracy of mammogram readings, for example, um, to get earlier readings for cancer there have you seen or heard of other studies like this or I, been I've, not, I've not had any direct access to it but in my day-to-day -day reading or following of what's going on with ai and automation this is a real thing this is what is ai very good at it's recognizing patterns and when you feed right. it thousands and thousands of bits of information whether it's a mammogram or a, a photograph of something it's extremely good at recognizing patterns if you want to give a, a another analogy to that not medical, but where AI is being used in farming, for example. So if you imagine you've got acres and acres of fields of crop and you have drones flying over taking photos or videos of the of the crops going backwards and forwards, it can recognise whether the crop needs water, whether it needs said based on the colour, based on the on certain readings that it's taking. It's exactly the same principle. So it can look at information and spot things that we as humans can't spot or would take a long time to spot. Just if it's just fed enough data. Um, yeah, from yeah. Palantir. Sorry, from the <laughs> yes. data set. So no, that's yeah. good. So that is a that's a good news story, right? That strikes me as leads on to one of the other upsides, which is operational efficiency. Because if you can do that mm -hmm. and get a higher strike rate quicker, then yep. you're not just saving the cost. To be honest, of basically you would have somebody who would otherwise have been. Uh, working a machine there as a highly yeah. paid specialist now is able to potentially see more people or perhaps yep. more urgent people because the triage has already been done where they've gone yes. re recognize hey we need a confirmation on this on the of this 10 percent yep yeah so, and, and i was going to get on to a second point but actually just on that note you can see there will be a point in the future i don't know how far into the future where certain things let's say for example I keep this very basic, but imagine that you go to the doctor because you're worried about a funny looking spot on your arm or a mole or something like that. 
you can see a future where you'll either be able to use a phone or a device which effectively takes that picture and scans it and pretty accurately will give you an idea of whether this is something to be worried about or not or it it shoots it straight down to your doctor who then contacts you to do that so it's effectively kind of triage from home i think i can absolutely see that being something that would that would happen so that's yeah so that's the great hope isn't it that it could be that personalized and you're getting close to the star trek tricorder uh, the all-in-one diagnosis machine (laughs) i've got a story but i'm not sure you want to publish it on the (laughs) On the podcast, and then now suddenly I'm going to have to edit this, aren't I? No, no, an episode without. No, no, let's, no. Let's, <laughs> go on. Okay, are you sure? No, I don't I, think I'm it's not sure at all. Now, okay, now I'm you've built it up too much. You're going to have to say it. I'm blushing. Okay, a number of years ago, I had a vasectomy. Okay, do you want me to carry right, on? Stop there. No. <laughs> okay. It's too late. It's too late. And yeah, let's just put it this way. The technique, what I just described as a way of checking moles or things like that, is now you can check the count, the sperm you count to see dick whether it was successful. to your doctor. Is that what you're saying? I think it was my doctor. <laughs> no, basically, they can measure your sperm count remotely now. And I'm going to leave it to your imagination about how they do that. Seriously? I'm deadly using only your mobile phone. The, uh, probably not even AI. <laughs> Probably just <laughs> people with photos just locked on walls. Jamie's sperm anyway, is great today. They're just telling yeah. you it's AI to, to uh, stop the embarrassment. Don't worry, it's just a robot. No one's looking. It's all anonymous. Okay. Palantir knows my sperm count. Uh, but, yeah, I wasn't going to be the first to say it. Okay. <laughs> Operational efficiency, though, this is something that's in your world. And yes. I- it, it leads on from not just having that specialist perhaps see the most urgent cases. But mm. it bleeds into operational efficiency for, for managing systems. Yep. Maybe explain how that okay, makes a big so difference. Okay, so I can give you a direct example of this that was from a conversation with a, a potential client earlier this week. So effectively, we do a lot of stuff to do with automation. So this is software robots doing what humans currently do when they're sat at computers. So it could be filling out forms, it could be processing documents, all that kind of thing. So we do a fair amount of work in the kind of care home industry. And we were talking to a care home owner, or they own a number of care homes. And what they wanted to do was have the care home managers um, reduce the amount of paperwork that they have to do for particular tasks um, to allow them to spend more time dealing with patients and actually be interacting with families and and patients. Because what he said, which, which was something you'd only know if you're in this industry, is often the care home manager or the senior people there would have come up through the ranks as nurses, they would have, so they understand the system, they understand how it works, they, and they love dealing with patients and dealing with people. But they've become managers and now they're having to do a lot of paperwork and, and kind of legwork. So he wanted to find a way to reduce as much as possible the amount of, of effectively paperwork that they were doing so that they could spend more time dealing with the patients, giving a better service to the patients. The manager prefers it because that's what they like to do and that's their experience. It's better for the patients, it's better for the families. And ultimately, it's more efficient because paperwork, documents, um, compliance is getting processed far quicker than, than, than humans doing it. And is there a bottom line that's easy for people to see? And, and do you often get challenged with that? It's like, how does this save money or resources or time? What's the sort of figures that, that businesses do you work with to look at? It, there's two types, really. So, so it's either time or money. So if it's money, 
it will often be that they want to reduce the headcount that they have or they want to grow their businesses without taking on more staff. So that's quite a tangible thing. If someone is being paid a salary of, I don't know, 30,000 pounds a year and a bot costs, I don't know, 10 grand as a one-off, then it it becomes quite a no-brainer for them to do that if that's what they want to do. Uh, Please refer to to our episode on AI in the workplace, (laughs) friend or foe. Yeah, okay. But I should point out, I should point out that the vast majority of our clients want to grow without having to take on more staff. That's what they, that's what they want to do. So then the other side of it is the time saving. So if you've got someone, so that's a really good example of the care home manager. A care home manager is people facing and that brings real value to the, to the patients or the, the clients and the families in relatively traumatic situations so their time gets freed up they're able to do more of that stuff and if you want to look at it from a kind of commercial point of view if you've got a company where you've got people who are busy doing kind of paper pushing tapping stuff into excel and spreadsheets and things like that but they're really good client facing people actually you can have them doing more of that again it comes back to them doing more what they're good at as humans and have the robots or the software robots doing what is is drudgery kind of work understood that makes sense that's that's cleared that up the other upside the final upside we're going to look at is more personalized treatment Mm. and whether or not ai can use the the, the tricorder but we didn't elaborate on it Mm. was as a company that is called babylon health it offers an ai driven chatbot that provides medical consultation based on personal medical history i think we've done faster earlier diagnosis and bled over into this issue but Mm. i just wanted to just make sure there wasn't something else to pick up on personalized treatment uh, that you might have found because i know your interest is in mental health and i wonder if personalized Mm. treatment might be other than the physical stuff that's going on perhaps mental health is an area that ai can really help in yeah this is a massive area absolutely massive area because there's mental health but even for mental health if you look at something like loneliness you have a demographic of elderly people who are lonely teenagers who, who who are lonely and chatbots are being shown to really help with that because it is like you're talking to someone, a real person, someone you can express how you're feeling, someone who maybe can give you some advice about a certain situation. And um, that is a, a big area. And that then bleeds into mental health and, and psychology and psychotherapy. And, and there's companies now that, again, that are starting to build these models that are specifically to help people using things like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And the reason that lends itself is that CBT is very structured in its approach in terms of how it helps people with either mental health or anxiety and stuff like that. So it can be trained to follow loosely these steps, but doing it in an empathic way, in a very talkative way. So I think this is, I think this is massive. And what's your instinct culturally with having lots of people like over a generation that are interacting mm. with AI for this reason? Do you think that we're perhaps not training people then to deal with other humans were in the place hmm. where they should perhaps to, to give some context this is not a cultural problem in japan as much mm-hmm. because i think you know i'm gonna i probably will read this back later on or listen this back and go no it's not that david but it's is it shinto is the major religion in uh japanese culture anyway it, it's the part of their culture to accept inanimate objects as having life so a stone mm-hmm. can have life and so can a robot and a machine yes. so therefore yep. dealing with a robot to help you untangle some emotional complexity is not unusual at all 
but in the mm. but generally in the West, that's not seen as okay. What are your thoughts on the implication culturally? I think this is a massive topic, <laughs> and I think that I think there's some very good sides to it, as I said, in terms of loneliness and mental health. But I think that there are things that we need to just keep our eye out for because I think we're already in a situation where younger people are interacting solely through their phone, through chatting and not really speaking to each other. And as a parent and as someone who, you know, their friends and things like that, you can see where that's having an impact on their ability to communicate face-to-face, talking, actual just talking as a human. And so that, I think, is just going to become magnified. And my concern with my interest in psychology is that what is this going to do for human relationships? How do humans actually relate to each other? Interestingly, I think isn't there a problem in Japan with the kind of the, the aging population and, and they're not having enough children? There's their physical relationships are a big problem, I'm sure, in, in Japan. It's just um, the aging demographic, whether or not it can be solved by by that I, I don't know but but it was more but, there will be demographic implications but i was just thinking on the purely psychological level of people using mm. ai bots as a way to gain access to expertise is one thing but mm-hmm. is in a constant relationship with in isolation of yes. other human contact that's the extreme obviously people don't because they're on the like people use phones lots but you don't know what they're accessing it could be that they're doing something that's quite sociable yep. <laughs> through their phone. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, that's fine. But I think with, with AI, actual human contact, empathy, those things that make us unique, they're losing mm-hmm. that. We're a social species. I worry that we're creating copies of what humans can do for each other is yeah. not healthy. Yes, that's, that's – yeah, and I'm agreeing with you. I think that's, that is, that's the problem. That's the worry because – as some, I think we talked about it in the last episode. I loved your example of roughage, right? Everyone needs right. a bit of roughage in their life. And any, anyone who's, who's old enough to have been in a relationship realizes that, and, and if you read about this in psychology, you learn about this relation. We are messy as humans and relationships are messy because you've got two messy people who are trying to make it work. And that's the challenge of a relationship. And that's, the, that's where the good stuff comes out and also the bad stuff comes out. Now, if you're in a relationship with a, a bot or an AI which is very agreeable, it's not messy. Always tell you wonderful and it's okay. That's right. And so there's no roughage. So when there's no roughage from your partner, it's a terrible analogy now, if there's no roughage from your partner, then as a... I can edit that out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's that going to do to ourselves in those relationships? Because you need, sometimes you need to bash up against something to learn about yourself, to learn about each Bashing, other. Bashing, so rough, roughage, yeah. Spun, and I think counts. psychologists need yeah, to talk to you, to be honest with you, Jamie. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I think it's a, it's, yeah, that's a deeper issue, isn't it? And it might be something that yeah. we should explore more as, mm. as psychology. It's probably a thing on its own that yes. we touched on a couple of times. I know it's an area of interest for you too. Okay. I think we save that. We park it and maybe come back to human AI and psychology. And, and Let's drop that. a little thought experiment in here, which is yeah. if we can create AI bots that we can talk to and have relationships to, this goes straight to that Black Mirror episode where you can say, okay, why don't we create a bot that we can have a relationship and speak to that is actually a replica of someone that died? Oh, yeah, so okay. Which yeah. episode was I that? I'll be back. We'll be right back. Oh, yeah, yeah, I We're that. not far from that. We're not far from that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that was carnage. I remember that being quite horrific. Because some, some of them surprised you by being, not many, but some of them surprised you by being really optimistic. And that's a beautiful vision of something that, that mm. where AI and technology could work. Um, but yeah. that one was terrifying. 
Yeah, very good. We'll leave it there. Look, that was really good. I, I enjoyed that. I'm going to ask ChatGPT lots more things to explain to me as a 10-year-old. Do it. <laughs> I've do discovered it. my level. But I'm worried I'm, I'm worried you, we might be dumbing you down, though, Dave. You're de-skilling. That, by, yeah, yeah. That, at 10-year-olds, 10-year-old level, we're upskilling me. I can be, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the up. It was nine last year. <laughs> <laughs>